Accelerating careers in real estate with Nick Carman. So this evening, I'm sat with Amelia Bright, Executive Director of the London Estate for Grosvenor. Amelia spent the past 13 years working for Grosvenor's businesses in both the UK and America. Now, Amelia, in this podcast, I'm pretty familiar with talking about chapters, chapters of growth, catalysts for change. Um, but so often the guests have manifested those catalysts in moving employers. Now, you've been incredibly loyal during that time. So I'm, I think I'm going to pick on you a bit and sort of and really push you to hear about sort of how you've managed those same catalysts and that same accelerated career while staying within the same four walls of Grosvenor businesses. Let's get started then with the first chapter. Tell us where does it all begin? Thanks, Nick. I think I suppose my real estate journey did begin in terms of contemplation while at university. I was I was studying biochemistry and maths of all things at the time and didn't have certainty of what I wanted to do, like many people. Uh, while at university, I undertook an internship at an investment bank in London, thinking that was perhaps the logical next step following a, a lot of maths and actually in, it was in 2006 and even though I didn't know much about work in those days or business culture my instinct quite strongly was that I wouldn't fit in there was a lot of focus on how to spend your bonus and um, it was all quite flashy and being quite frank quite an aggressive culture so at that point, where I thought about doing investment banking for quite a few years, I, I had to rethink. And when I was thinking about what industry I wanted to go into, I suppose I was thinking about doing a job that I believed in. I suppose I knew from from school and university that if I didn't believe in what I was doing, I wasn't too focused. So it had to be something I believed in, and I really wanted to enjoy it. Um, I think in life you have to enjoy what you're doing uh, and so I really tried to find something that I heard people enjoyed and real estate surfaced to the top and a friend of mine's father actually worked for Grosvenor and so I applied to Grosvenor as well as other real estate companies to do some work experience and ended up joining both Allsop the auctioneer actually and Grosvenor that uh, one summer while at university and my work experience at Grosvenor was related to visiting Liverpool One, which was the regeneration of the city centre that Grosvenor undertook in the early 2000s. And I just couldn't believe the impact that a corporate business could have on place and community and city. And I was incredibly excited by that. And so went on to apply for many property companies that year and luckily, I got one job, and that was at Grosvenor. Um, so one, one, one property company was happy to take me on without a property background. Um, and that's, I suppose, where it all started. Tell us a bit more about sort of how those early years were spent at Grosvenor. I had a lot of fun in the early years, actually. And I moved around uh, our, our traditional, I suppose, our London estate business for a couple of years, doing various asset management roles in different sectors and learning as, as I went along. Alongside that, I was undertaking a master's in real estate at weekends, um, which was which was quite intense at the time. But generally, just, just learning the business, learning what I was maybe good at, less good at, working for different people and learning 
different skill sets from them. I qualified in 2009, which was not a great time to qualify and ended up in a project management role, which was quite amusing to me and my family, given my lack of practical skills. <laughs> and, and it was actually project managing quite small refurbishments of flats. So I don't think I was the best project manager they'd ever had in their team. But I was very, very lucky to have a job. But actually, that was a time when I did question what my next steps would be and if I was pushing myself enough. And you had been here sort of 22, 23, uh, presumably. How confident could you be about sort of uh, about pushing yourself? Or were were you just thinking, this is right now, I've got a job. It's 2009, it's 2010. I'll just make the, mo- the most of it. Did you allow yourself to really think about a career at that point? I absolutely did. I've, I have, I'm afraid, always been very career focused. So, so if I think I'm stalling, I get quite anxious. And so I was very focused on what my next steps would be. I did stick my head above the parapet at that point and think about other roles and other organisations. And as it happened, when I approached Grosvenor, to say that I might be considering leaving, they at that point said, right, Amelia, let's give you something more challenging. And they moved me into the development team. And then I took on a, a, a big step up in terms of complexity of role. So um, to answer your question, Nick, I've, I've always been very focused on next steps and, and not, not because I wanted the next job title or the next paycheck, but because I am just happier when I'm being stretched and when I've got challenges in front of me and when the, when I feel I'm contributing something positively, and I don't think as a project manager I was doing that to the best of my ability. Okay. So what came after this? The the move into the development. What are you what yes. were you busy with at the moment? So in in the development team, I I started out as an analyst, um, but but moved into a role whereby I was looking after our investment in various joint ventures, delivering high end residential um, flats in central London. Uh, with a joint venture partner. My role was to ensure our investment was being managed appropriately um, and to input uh, where I saw fit. And that was a, another great challenge for me, learning from um, an organisation called Native Land who are an excellent residential developer and learning their skill sets um, and also developing my commercial skills as well as my underwriting skills. And I, yeah, it was... That was a great time. You, out of interest, you, you listed there your professional skills. Yes. Um, what about sort of personal? What, I'm, I'm curious at this stage yes. now, what, what else, what were you learning in particular? The, the huge thing I learned in that job was learning to influence when you don't have direct say over something. So if, if when you're in a joint venture, there's, even if you're mostly aligned, there's always, there's always issues that arise whereby different parties have different perspectives. And that's where I learned to really think about our shared goals and how I would go about exerting my influence on that outcome, which wasn't always easy, but was a fantastic lesson to learn and a huge challenge. Okay. So in these very early days, then you've made the transition from project manager to development manager. It feels like you've now now found your, your niche within development management. But what happens? What happens next? How do you, how does that role develop? Thanks, Nick. So after a year of um, a lot of 
actually I was underwriting land acquisitions, possible land acquisitions for us. My my boss at the time, who was great, actually left. And rather than hiring in another director, they gave me effectively his role, which was this managing our investments in joint ventures. So I actually had a big step up in terms of responsibility and complexity of role and managed, I suppose, the corporate refinance of our investment in one of the joint ventures. And at the time, it it was quite an intimidating role to take on because I suppose I must have been 24 or so at the, at the time and I was sitting around the table with four other male directors discussing how we run our development business. But it's the first time that I'd learnt that I could just be open about what I did and didn't know and that provided you do that, people will generally help you. So it was a really interesting time for me and I could learn from those other far more experienced developers around the table, but also carry my weight because they knew I wasn't pretending to be something I wasn't. I think you've got quite an interesting perspective, haven't you, on that? Surely most people who are then in a in a position whereby they're met with people who know more about them, they have a tendency to turn, you know, the bullshit meter up a gear. You're suggesting you turned it turned it down or uh, or turning it off because you felt more comfortable in doing doing that. Is that an Amelia trait? Have you noticed that before? Uh, that uh, that is an Amelia trait. I think in that whenever I have any three sixty feedback or any any feedback at all, the first thing people say about me in terms of my strengths. We can go on to my weaknesses later, but in terms of my strengths is authenticity. I just feel far more comfortable saying when I don't know something and always have done. And it, it gives you, I think, extraordinary strength when you do feel comfortable doing that. Um, and, and a great example of that was turning up in San Francisco and not not being able to, I didn't know anything about the planning system, quite frankly, what street the car park I was developing was on and actually having having the strength to say, I just don't know that really makes me feel more comfortable in my skin and what I'm doing and ensures for me that I can get the best outcome of a situation. Well, you just teased us then with San Francisco, didn't you? Um, I'm looking forward to us <laughs> chatting through a bit more about it. But given what you just said there, you've just been you've been given the opportunity then to take this take this this next step up. You, you said yourself you're you're 24. How did you make that decision to to leave that behind and then to to take the leap to go to a different country, a different city? Um, in many ways, you know, a very very I imagine quite a different Grosvenor as well. Yes. So at the time, I suppose I had two options. One, one was this opportunity in San Francisco to to run a couple of development projects, and and the other opportunity was to support the new London estate director in running that business and essentially be his bag carrier, um, but uh, but support on various projects. And both were fascinating opportunities. My role was naturally coming to an end, but because of the various projects I've been working on. So I was I was definitely ready for, for a new challenge. I think because I had been quite career focused and not had a gap year and started work when I just turned 21, I also did want to live abroad at some point, but I always wanted to work abroad versus travel. And I've always been fascinated by the States. I, I traveled there a bit in the preceding years and knew it would be a place I could go to where I could really get stuck into a different culture very quickly because of the lack of language barrier. 
and of course San Francisco itself um, what a city I can talk about that for hours so for all those reasons I ended up deciding to go for the San Francisco opportunity and I'm very glad I did upon reflection albeit it was a it was a challenging time for me generally in life we can't leave us in that cliffhanger so <laughs> tell us tell us a bit more firstly you know anyone that moves abroad on their own and I didn't have any connections at all in San Francisco it, it, it takes time to build up friendships and a support network I remember the first few weekends I just you know I hang out on my own for quite quite a few weeks and and that's just tough in itself um I suppose I'd always always had a, a big um group of great friends around me and also I had uh, some family issues at the time that I was I was dealing with and so so I found that challenging the the San Francisco office itself was was an office of say 30 people and my team was sort of two people so I was much more isolated I suppose than I had been in London and it took me at least I'd say a year to adjust to that and start to enjoy life so that was that was a just difficult time but but I did build up some great friends, uh, great friendships in San Francisco after a year. And of course, I became more established within the business. And I learned a lot more about what I was doing and started to do relatively well out there. So I, I started to enjoy it a lot more, obviously, towards the end. And I was there for three years in the end. Okay. Well, just for a little bit of context, how, how does the growing the US business differ to the UK business? Firstly, um, so so both businesses are run very independently um, as per um, the growth structure. The, the the America's business is smaller. It's more disparate because it's split into, oh, well, at the time, four, four effectively gateway cities across the States and Canada. And culturally, it was a bit different as well in that I suppose you're rooted in American culture and it was probably not as close-knit as the London office, if I could think of a distinction. Okay. Um, very, very commercially focused, which I really enjoyed, but definitely different, albeit with the same underlying values of only doing things if they're the right thing to do. And what about the perception? Because certainly Grosvenor UK has a very distinct perception, right? Yes. Um, because of the its legacy, because of the, you know, the, the Mayfair estate in particular, sort of the Duke... None of that, uh, I imagine, sort of is uh, is present in the US. Mm. So how how much carries across? How much translates? Yeah, and and I would say slightly different depending on which city. But in San Francisco, certainly there was almost no perception of Grosvenor. If I walked into a room to meet an agent or a consultant or um, someone in the community, th- there would be no knowledge of Grosvenor or its history, which in some ways is great it's a blank sheet and you can talk about what you're doing and focus on what you're doing in that moment versus people having uh, any false perception but in other ways I had to learn to stand on my own two feet and to explain why we were doing what we were doing and what our track record was so that was yeah was very distinct from the UK where if you turn up to a meeting with anyone in real estate generally they know about Grosvenor and have a view on on what the brand is about Okay. Now, given you were there for sort of three years and you um, you suggested you, you started to get on really, really well, what were you learning at this time in your career? Work-wise, I would say a bit more of the learning to walk into a room and know less about a subject than other people, which might now be a common theme. 
Um, but also huge, a huge amount of empathy would be the word I'd use, Nick. If you're building, I was in, in that time building two mixed-use buildings um, replacing car parks in, in the downtown part of the city, you, and you're surrounded by residents, you really have to think about things from a community perspective. And it was the first time I'd, I'd had to forcibly step myself out of the landlord or developer bubble and think, okay, how is this affecting this person's lifestyle and life? Um, and how can we ensure that this, what we, what intervention we do in this city is accreted to as many people as possible? And really learning to empathize with people and think about how we can solve solutions together was probably my biggest learning in that time in my career. But it's, at some point, you made the decision to to return back to the UK. Tell me a bit more about sort of how how that how the opportunity arose and how you made, how you ultimately made the decision then to to leave the US behind. Yeah, so I think after two and a half years, I was about to get um, entitlements or planning on on both buildings, um, and so it was a natural time for me to reflect upon next steps. It's also the longest time I've been in any role, so I think I was starting to think I might need a new challenge and at that time I did I did start to question if if staying in real estate was the smartest thing to do I suppose I was probably 29 and I was quite conscious that while I'd loved it I should I be thinking about anything else um and so I applied to business school and got accepted to Columbia Business School to do an MBA and thought long long and hard about about doing that actually Columbia is great for real estate so I'd sort of thought it might widen my skill set widen my network and perspective on on things but at the time when I said to Grosvenor actually I have been offered to do this MBA they said well Amelia coincidentally we've got an opportunity doing real estate investment back in London and we know that's what you're really interested in doing so again quite a deliberation but in the end I, I chose the role in London because I had always wanted to explore real estate investment and I thought even if I did an MBA I'd end up in investment anyway after that so I made that decision and came back to London. Okay just picking up something you said earlier about how career-minded you are and you have planned in the past how far ahead do you allow yourself to plan now? You've, so it's 2016, returning back to the UK. You've sort of you've got a new opportunity, but does your head then allow you to think beyond this? Interestingly, at that point, no. I think at that point, I thought this is the area of property I've always been interested in. I'm going to explore it for a bit of time, and I came back in still quite a relatively junior role. But I was fine with that because. I really just wanted to learn and I knew I'd never bought a building before. So I was very happy just to explore that and take advantage of the opportunity that Grove had given me. So I would say, Nick, at that time, and because I was, I really enjoyed the investment role um, and it played to my strengths, I didn't look ahead for a bit. So you mentioned this is a relatively junior role, but it didn't stay junior for very long, did it? No, no, it didn't. When I arrived uh, in London that week, the, the head of the investment team left and they and Grosvenor spent three or four months trying to find someone um, and they struggled to find someone. And after about, I think it was after about six months, I'd bought quite a few things by then and sold quite a few things. 
And so Grosvenor, putting a lot of faith in, in me, gave me that director of investment role. And so there was a big step up for me managing a team of, I think it was eight or so investment professionals, a lot of whom, as you can imagine, had more experience than me. And I was very grateful of the opportunity. And, and I was lucky we had, a, I had a brilliant team. And we had a series of, of really great transactions that we managed. It was probably the job that came most naturally to me of anything I've done. And we had a great time buying some fun things um, and selling, selling some, some residential assets. And just generally trying to further the London strategy, it was always buying and selling things in London. Yeah, I was very happy doing that job. So your first leadership role. Yes. Today, uh, I'm curious about you know, what impact had previous leaders had on you and what, you know, what had you particularly learnt or, yeah. or maybe in this, the other way, you know, what, what, did you, yeah. what traits did you want to avoid? So I really, <laughs> that's, that's quite an easy question for me to answer. So at this point, I'd had some brilliant bosses um, to learn from and I obviously had some experience where it was, didn't go so well. And the, the huge thing I learned was letting people flourish and not controlling outcomes um, in an egregious way. I just letting people place their strengths and and stretching them, stretching everyone to do more than people think they're capable of. And so that was probably a big focus for me, not least because I'm quite conscious that this has carried on throughout subsequent roles that quite often I'm managing people that do have more experience. So it would be completely counterproductive to try and control outcomes that um, that it are unnecessary. So I suppose very conscious of letting people make their own decisions and challenge themselves more than they think they could. But the one thing I would caveat that with is balancing it with not with being disinterested. So I read an article recently about the absent boss, which resonated with me in terms of a previous boss. I also was very conscious to always be there as a sounding board and as a support if anyone needs me and to fundamentally care about the people in my team. Um, so that would probably be my my other focus to counterbalance that that other view. So in prep for all these sort of recordings, I, I do try and track down a couple of people who've worked with you before or maybe or maybe still are. Now, one of the, one of them said something I must admit that made made me smirk. And so I asked them sort of how would they describe Amelia? And they they said she's got the uh, the brains the size of a planet. Which is a, I must admit, as a side note, it obviously shows I haven't got a, a galactic brain because I've written Brian's here. She's got the Brian <laughs> size of a planet, um, but not in a nerd factory PE uh, style. Uh, she demonstrates such warmth that you aspire to meet her level. Wow, that's very nice. Does someone say something like that? So, given sort of your, you're now in this, in this, a new role. Yes. New leadership responsibilities and you've never bought you at this point sort of uh, well at least sort of six months ago you hadn't bought a building before yeah how how on earth do you manage all these plates spinning i think because authenticity can only get you so far right yeah one thing i would say is ironically with my personality i'm calmer when under pressure so as soon as the stakes get higher i get more motivated and get more enjoyment out of something and and then bizarrely am just calmer so so that would be one factor also at this point i i gained a lot of confidence so if if i i suppose i was starting to feel much more comfortable in my judgments on things 
and therefore I think develop quite a quick pace of making decisions which I think help helpful and I think generally in life it's probably one of my faults but I am quite instinctive and make decisions quite quickly um, and I think that makes life a bit easier but also I think probably everyone says this but you know surrounding myself by the best team I think is something I'm quite good at in that I love working with people I love working with great people getting the best out of people and I think because I generally am quite trusting when I get the right team around me a lot of good things can happen because I let people do the things that they might not have done without that challenge perhaps and is out of curiosity is uh... You know, as someone who has also been an incredibly high achiever at a, at a young age, is that something that you, you benefited from or wish you'd benefited more from? I've always benefit, benefited very well from that. I think I, I've had, I was very lucky and I've had a, a series of bosses that gave me far more autonomy than I ever hoped, that ever hoped to have. And I think it's one of, I think generally Grosvenor's great strengths that it it does give people the chance to push themselves far more beyond far more um than what they think they're capable of so I think that's been a common theme throughout my career that I've ended up working for people quite often that see more in me than I see in myself and I suppose I want to pass that on to other people because I think it's it's what makes work fun and it's what delivers the best results so up until now and I'm not sure if it's it's you sort of playing it down or or uh, or what but everything has gone incredibly smoothly you've sort of rocketed up the the career ladder so far you've experienced uh uk um, development the us development you're now uh, in a leadership sort of role uh, in investment back in london it can't all go that smoothly can it were there any bumps in the road there was a slight bump so i think i think we're now in dare i say it 2000 and 17 or 2018 and there's a restructure at Grosvenor and I I go out for a drink with my boss and he he informs me that I'm at risk of redundancy so that was the slight bump along with uh, along with various other people in, in our business I you know I had to go through the process I had to see go through the consultation see what roles roles appeared and my my role was absolutely redundant um, because they integrated investment into our asset management function. And of course, that was a point of reflection for me in terms of what I would do next. And perhaps in terms of career, I, perhaps I, w- you know, I was nervous at that point. I'd been at Grove for a very long time and how attractive I would be to a different employer. Um, and as it happened, two roles appeared at Grosvenor that were of interest to me. And one of them more so than the other, and it's the role I ended up applying for and getting. But but this role was very, very far removed from my skill set. And it was also a significant step up in responsibility. Well, just before we go on to that, you your language then was extremely moderated about ah. sort of what about sort of the 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 possible risk of redundancy. Um mm. was it were you that moderated at the time? Did did that feel fair given sort of what you've you've spoken about in terms of sort of how quickly yeah. you've amassed that and earned and earned that level? How did you feel at the time? 
yeah, I know. I def, I definitely was worried. Or was it stronger than that? Did you feel aggrieved? Funnily enough, I, I, I don't think I did feel aggrieved in that the rationale for the changes made sense to me generally with with the restructure that was proposed. So I suppose at least I, I believed in in why they were making the changes. I suppose at that point, do you question your loyalty to the business and their loyalty in respect in return to you? I think, I think no. I think I was quite rational, and I, I think I thought no, this is this makes sense for the business, and I, and therefore I just have to see what what appears. And I, I suppose I was lucky that two weeks later, there were two possible roles that I could apply for. Um, so I think the overwhelming feeling was uncertainty, which is never fun for anyone. Um, I was lucky at the time I didn't have any dependents or anything like that. But but no, I wouldn't say I was aggrieved because I could see the rationale behind the shift and the changes. Okay. Well, then I think we're ready to hear then what, what came next. So I applied for a role. Actually, it was all in very quick, short, short succession. So I applied for a role taking on um, what we called our placemaking team, which was marketing leasing sustainability and public space so quite quite varied and certainly sort of the opposite end of the commercial spectrum that i've been on in terms of being in an investment role uh, but, yeah, again you think you're being sort of polite aren't you i think sort of many people would think as being the two you you've firmly at the two ends of the spectrum now haven't you you've moved from sort of the the coal faces of the investment reviewing the numbers back to your sort of your maths uh sort of where your where your sort of studies first yeah. began Right to the the real fluffy end, right? I mean, ev- everyone loves yeah. everyone loves the phrase placemaking right right now, but this is you know this uh, to some this is the real soft stuff. I actually still don't like the word placemaking, Nick. It, for me, it's a lazy way of saying do do things properly. But yes, I moved to fluffy end, and I should say that very soon after that, my boss my boss left, and so I ended up taking on the development team as well, and joining our our executive committee. So it was a it was a it was a serious shift. Um, I took on a, a larger team as well, so there was much more of a a leadership role at scale. Um, and and I was doing what we can call the fluffy stuff. Um, and I I suppose I was I was concerned that I wouldn't be great at that. But I actually ended up really enjoying that role, and I think it's because it takes me back to the reason I joined real estate in the first place and looking around Liverpool one when you can have a have an influence on place and cities and and therefore people's experience day to day um in exploring those cities and places i think it's a it's a very satisfying role and and something that's really exciting to be part of we we had at the time and still have a big shift that we want to create within Mayfair and Belgravia which is the Grosvenor estate in terms of making those places open to more people and more interesting in various ways. So it was quite a big challenge as well, um, which um, I did really enjoy, but it, it definitely probably didn't come as naturally to me as that investment role. And so was a period of time, was a period in, in my career, which was much harder than I'd had previously. It was much more challenging, I suppose, than, than previous roles. I had to, well, first I had to build a team. So I had a lot of vacancies in, in my team when I took it on. Um, so I had to appoint people quite quickly to take on on roles, leading things that I was less familiar with. So there was a point around exercising judgment quite quickly there. 
Um, and then I had to build a team um, of, of often quite people with quite varying specialist skills and bring them together with a, with a common goal. Um, I suppose in the investment team, it was very obvious everyone was doing the same thing, whereas this team was much more disparate. And so there was, there was a big challenge there. And then the role was about, I, was, I suppose I was stretched quite thinly because I didn't, I didn't have a head of development for a long time. So I was trying to manage this quite complex development pipeline, but also balance that with making sure I was being sufficiently strategic on, on the, the placemaking side. Um, and so just building knowledge very quickly in an area and using judgment to make decisions when you don't have that full knowledge um, made it made it a complex task and the other thing that I struggled with if I'm being really honest was it was the first time I'd not been doing the work directly necessarily and good outcomes were being achieved mainly through me influencing the great people in my team and that was something that I had to adapt to because I couldn't see necessarily always the tangible output of my input if that makes sense um, and I had to learn to live with that and to know that leading the team and obviously getting stuck in when necessary, but that was where I could most effectively spend my time getting the best other people in my team. Okay. Um, let me just bring in something else that I, that I heard about, about you before we did this uh, recording. Um, Amelia demonstrates such authenticity, which we've we've heard before, um, and honesty that she commands loyalty and respect because of it in any team she's in, involved in. But there's a flip side to that, isn't there? To someone who hasn't worked with you before, who maybe doesn't know in terms of sort of the origins of that sort of the that level of trust, or hasn't had experience of sort of you know the the positive side of sort of that authenticity and honesty, has that backfired? Has people been able to take advantage of that? that's an interesting perspective Nick I think that can happen and while it might appear uh, straight off the bat that I'm I'm not in the detail and I'm quite relaxed in fact if I if I sense that somebody isn't on the same path as the rest of the team or or as committed then I can be pretty firm and actually I do have high standards for myself and I and that means I do have high standards for other people so at the point at which I do feel challenged or I feel as though someone's not showing in loyalty, you've mentioned loyalty is hugely important to me. Um, it's important to me that everyone in my team is loyal to my direct reports and in turn that my direct reports are loyal to me and I'm loyal to them. If I sense that somebody isn't aligned to the rest of the team, then I, then I am quite firm and, and will deal with the situation because it's, it's not fun for, for anyone if, if people aren't completely aligned. Okay. Um, well, let's let's get us back then to sort of the the career journey, um, because again, not long after sort of taking up this position, then we come up to recent times where by whereby this is your third position in what are we talking now in four in four years, yeah, uh, and you're promoted to the executive director of the London Estate. Yes, and I'm I'm going to ask you a bit to tell us a bit a little bit more of, uh, about that and and sort of the the journey behind that. But before we do, I don't know if other people are, are sort of interested in this or not. But um, do you ask for these promotions? Does <laughs> does Grosvenor you know sort of recognise Amelia purely on merit, 
Um, so I, I, I have luckily never asked for promotion. Um, and I think on the whole, I've had to interview for most roles um, that I've taken. So I do think in, in life, there's an element of luck. And I have had just chance scenarios where bosses have left suddenly, and there hasn't been there hasn't been someone to fill that void. But I suppose, because Grosvenor knows how committed I am, and that I like the challenge of a step up and change and shift in responsibility, possibly they give me the benefit of the doubt um, in giving me these opportunities. Hang but, on. No, I... Hang on. So just for, for the um, for the for the sakes of our, our listeners, the there is no way I'm letting you get away away with <laughs> being so modest. That yeah, when you say that sort of uh, that it's happenstance that people people have sort of left left a role and there wasn't someone available. There are forty five thousand people in London uh, sort of involved <laughs> in sort of real estate. There is always someone who is who is out there. Yet this sort of this young upstart always seems to pit them to the post. Um, so. I, I don't. I'm not sure we've got, I suppose, to the real sort of bottom of this because I think you're you're being far far too modest. But um, I I think sort of myself and any of the, the audience here now, I think are, are probably sort of really interested in, in about sort of how these opportunities and how how you get yourself into the position in order to be yeah. successful in taking yeah. them. Because it's one thing, okay, it's maybe you're not not asking for them, but you're clearly demonstrating that you're ready to take them on. Yeah. So. Um... Firstly, it's basic, but work harder than everyone else around you. I think that's always um, put me in quite good stead and show that commitment. But also just constantly be, I suppose I've always consciously focused on pushing myself to do the best job I can. And that that often means doing more than, I suppose, the day jobs. So in every role I've done, it's what could I possibly do to create the best outcome? And actually, Nick, that's probably the only, that's not the best answer, but they're probably the two things I live by. <laughs> so well, it's far, working. so far, it is. Okay, well, so I, I, stopped, I stopped you in the track, sorry, very rudely, but tell us, um, let's, uh, let's bring us up to, bang up to date then. Tell us a bit more about sort of your current role. Great. So, so I took on my current role in July, formally, um, and what a time to take on a central London property portfolio. I was, I suppose, quite familiar with the team and uh, have, a, have a great team in place. Um, so I was fortunate in that respect. But obviously, it's been unprecedented times. And it's been, it's been tough. And it continues to be tough. Um, How familiar was the was the team? So to, to, mm. I must, I'm not entirely familiar in terms of what what the exec director actually constitutes. Does this still include the development and the placemaking teams that you were responsible for before? So there was there's a slight reshuffle again. So so it's now a team that includes asset asset managers. Um, it includes uh, what we call our strategy team, our marketing team, public space, and a residential team. So. So it's it's the portfolio management of the estate. It's a team of about um, fifty or sixty people looking after this uh, central London mixed use portfolio, which is two thirds commercial and a third residential. So I was familiar with some of the team that that had come with me in my old role, but the asset management team was new to me, albeit I'd worked with them indirectly. And uh, I, yeah, it's been a few months of getting to know a couple of new direct reports while continuing to work with 
people I've had in my team previously. And one thing I would say about COVID is that it's been, well, well, horrific in so many ways. It is, it has acted as a great um, shared goal to count, supposed to, to bring people with very different skill sets and different focuses together to to resolve something and i've never seen such good examples of cross team working um in my career and also despite people having no chance for bonus and being great for a job but people just really hunkering down and and working you know relentlessly without breaks to deliver the best outcome for the business um which which has been amazing to see and i i i even though of course all i've got of views on how we'll be working going forward of course it's been tough rem working remotely and not being together i don't think i've seen a team as aligned as it is right now because everybody's working towards that shared goal and i wonder if a lot of leaders are experiencing that at the moment and it, and that way it's been quite inspiring to see Okay. Let me ask you then, um, uh, before we sort of finish up, let me ask you sort of one or two sort of questions before we finish. You mentioned a bit before about sort of having um, very career minded and having having a plan. So you're now sort of six months into into this new role. Do you allow yourself then to plan beyond this? No, funny enough, Nick, I wouldn't say I'm the, I'm the best career planner, actually. I think while I've always wanted to have an interesting career, I probably should have been more organized about looking ahead. And as long as what I'm doing at the moment is challenging me enough, I don't look ahead. But it's at that moment that I don't feel challenged. That's when I really start to think about new opportunities. But this role, <laughs> I can say this safely, has enough to keep me going for many years to come. So I really hope that I am actually in this role for a reasonable amount of time because there's so much I want to achieve and so much opportunity that I can see um, for the London estate um, backed by this great team. So for once, um, I'm quite happy um, to continue in the same role for a while and hope that hope that I'll be allowed to do so. Um, I should also say that in two weeks, I'm having my first baby. So that, that's going to be a slight distraction for a few months um, before I get back to it. Okay. Well, I think sort of on, on that really sort of positive note, I think we'll sort of draw it all to a close. So, Amelia, thank you very, very much for your, uh, for your time um, sort of spending this. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I've, and I've no doubt sort of our, uh, everyone in our audience will have, will have too. Thanks so much, Nick. This podcast was brought to you by McDonald & Company, the leading real estate recruiter. To discuss any matters with Nick Carman, please contact him via the email address in your show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episode as it's released.